0: Quick to the point part two. So glad that you're here this morning. How many of you were here last week? Raise your hand. You were here last week. All right. Put your hand. How many of you were not here last week? All right. Go get a copy of the CD or go. uh, go, I think we're behind when we have to make these DVDs for all the small groups. We get behind sometimes. So hopefully the DVD or the the video will be online quickly. But uh, so glad that you're here this morning. We are in a series for those of you who missed last week called Quick to the Point. It is a Six week journey through the book of James. Now, here's the here's the deal. If I covered everything in the book of James, it would probably be more like a 14 week series. So we're not covering everything. So on your own, go read the book of James. The book of James is the most practical book in the entire New Testament. There's nothing more practical. He is blunt. He's in your face. He's challenging. He's, and, and the reason why it's called quick to the point is because normally he doesn't spend any more than about three or four verses on any one topic and then he just boom moves on. And he's so quick and punching. And he loads so much into one or two verses that, I mean, we can spend an entire day easily dissecting just a couple of verses. So James is this guy. He is a preacher. He is the kind of the leader of the church of Jerusalem. And when the when all the Christians get scattered abroad, he says, hey, persecution is all around you. Challenging times are all around you. And I'm going to give you the goods that's going to help you live out the Christian experience. And so James goes from James is the guy that takes you from making an. uh, uh, um, How do I say this? Making an acceptance of God's existence and his God's goodness and then translating that down into how do I actually live that out now? Meaning like, OK, I believe in God, but what does that actually mean come Tuesday afternoon or Thursday morning or, or Friday or when I'm with my family at the weird family event on Saturday that I don't even want to be at or, or, or got the ugly co-worker that's mean and nasty on Monday morning? Like that's where James gets. He gets rubber meets the road. And so last week, James starts with one of the most practical things that you ever experienced in life, Think something that we all experience, and it's something he just to refers to as trials, storms, difficult seasons of life. And he says, Hey, here's the deal. Every one of you are going to experience bad seasons of life. And I want you to know how to navigate those awful negative, bad seasons of life. And then today we will look at something that might be the second most practical thing that everybody in this room deals with. Cause here's, here's what I know about you. Not only do you deal with trials, you deal with temptation. You deal with something that entices you, that gets you caught up into something that makes you make bad decisions. Have you ever gotten on the bad side or the other side of a terrible decision and ask yourself, why did I do that? What was I thinking? Like, wh- wh- where did my brain go? Why would I ever do that? Because hindsight's always 20 right? So you look back into the past and you're like, well, geez, wow, why was I so dumb? Why was I so deceit? Why was I so lost in that arena of life? And what James wants to do is teach you everything on the front end. So you never get to the bad end of a situation, look back and say, what was I thinking? He's going to let you know what you were thinking right now. And he talks about this idea called temptation that you and I deal with. On a daily basis, let's pray real quick one more time before we get in, before we get into the scriptures. Jesus, please be here, God, to teach us, to guide us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you bring things to our remembrance. God, that this would be not a sermon that goes over our head, but a sermon that penetrates our own soul. That, God, you would deal specifically with our temptations as individuals. We all have one or two or three or four things in our life that seem to constantly trip us up to mess us up, to get us in a wrong direction. God, let this not be a vague sermon. God, let this be a very specific sermon. God, that that while the preacher preaches Holy Spirit, you apply it to our hearts. That's what we really want today. Do you believe that? Say amen. 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 So if you have your Bible, go to the book of James and we're just going to dive right in. If you remember again, last week he deals with trials and trials come from where? Outside. Temptation, James says, does not come from outside. He says, actually, temptation comes from. Inside. Listen to what he says here. First off, he starts in verse 13 and he says this. He says, when tempted, everybody say when. Now, we, we talked about this when we talked about trials. He said the same things about trials. That it's not if trials come, it's when they come. And temptation is exactly the same way. It's not if they come, it's just When they come. And for some of us, it comes more frequently than others. But it's always coming when tempted. No one should say that God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. The very first thing that James says before he even gets into the process of temptation and what he wants you to know in advance is this, is that you're going to be tempted. Now, I want to free you up as as a believer because some Christians guilt themselves a lot and they beat themselves up and they feel really, really bad. And they say things like this. I've been a Christian for too long. I shouldn't be tempted by that anymore. Why am I still tempted by this? And so in light of that, they beat themselves up thinking that they should somehow be further along in their journey or have gotten over that. And that shouldn't be an issue anymore. And that is not what James says. James says that, that it is not even a matter of if. It is only a matter of when. And here's the other thing you need to know is that temptation in and of itself is not a sin. It's not. It's not. It's just the opportunity to walk away from God's best. That's it. It's temptation is not the sin. The sin is the sin. Temptation is just you're struggling with it, battling with it, dealing with it. And then what you do beyond that, that may or may not be sin. But temptation is not a sin in and of itself. It's just the opportunity to kind of walk away from God's best. And so I want you to know that temptation is inevitable and you are a normal person if you experience temptation. You all feel a little bit better now. Everybody say, I'm normal. You're normal. Well, some of you are. Some of you are abnormal for other reasons, but not because of temptation. In the realm of temptation, you're all normal. But this is what he says. He goes, when you're tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me. And the first thing he does is this. He directs the idea of responsibility. He basically says that when you're tempted, make sure that you know this. The worst thing you could ever do is blame God for your temptation. Like God doesn't tempt people. He's not tempted with evil and he doesn't dish it out and try to tempt other people with evil. God has given you a free will. And because of your ability to choose, that's why you have temptation. But not because God is laying in front of you things that that are tempting you. And so God doesn't tempt you. And every once in a while, you'll have some. uh, You'll have I was going to say something mean. You'll have some foolish person say something ridiculous like, oh, well, God wanted me to divorce my wife and marry her. God wanted me. No, 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 no. God doesn't. God doesn't set you up for failure on purpose. God doesn't set you up and say, I want you to make terrible, immoral decisions. God doesn't set you up and say, "Hey, I want you to go and do sinful things that are totally contradictory to what I've said in the scripture. God does not do that. But the other thing you need to take away is this, is that you are the only one that is responsible for the decisions that you make. Not only do I not want you to not blame God, I don't want you to blame other people for your sin. I I don't want you to live a life because here's what I know, is that blaming is the language of victims. When you constantly blame other people, because some of us do that, we have this awful temper. And when we get mad and angry, we say awful things and do awful things. And then we're called on. It was, well, I just get that from my mama. Well, that's just my daddy. No, that's you. Put your big boy pants on and change. Quit blaming mama. Quit blaming daddy. Quit blaming all the things that happened to you when you were a child. At some point, you need to grow up and take what? Responsibility for your own actions. When you think about your, your temptations and the things that you've done, the things that you've fallen into here, here's what you need to know. You are the only one responsible for the decisions that you make. That's it. And in light of that, because of that, you know what I figured out? I am the cause of most of my own problems. It's me. It's, it's me. Uh, I read, a, uh, um, how many of y'all used to read the newspaper back when there were newspapers? Do y'all remember newspapers? And they had a thing in there as kids. What did you go to? Cause guys, you just went to the sports page. Um, Kids, what did you go to? Remember the funny pages? There's Peanuts Gang in there. Remember that? Charlie Brown, Snoopy and all that stuff. And I read one that was so, it was so funny. Remember Pepper and Patty? She was kind of like a girl that always dressed like a boy, I think, but always liked Charlie Brown. And, and, and this is what she says to Charlie Brown in one of those. She, she says to him, she goes, if I fail that test tomorrow, it will be your fault, Chuck. Remember, she never called him Charlie. This is Chuck. It'll be your fault, Chuck, because we talked on the phone too much. And he says, but you're the one that keeps calling me. And she says, well, you shouldn't answer the phone then. You shouldn't answer the phone, Chuck. Uh, the, the point is is that many of us fall into the same trap of when we look at our mistakes, we blame other people. Well, it was their fault. It was like 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 we get pulled over for speeding. Was like, that cop was stupid. Yeah, I can't believe you did that to me. And so, no, no, you were speeding. That, that's why you got, you know, you, you, in life, you have got to learn to take responsibility for your own actions. It is the only way you will ever truly be free in life. And this is where James begins. Next scripture is this. The Bible says, but not not it's that was loud, wasn't it? Not it's God's fault, and not it's mama's fault, and not it's the popo's fault, and not it's it's not it's not out there. Actually, or but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. He goes, that's where temptation actually happens. It's something that's in your heart. It's something that starts within you. And that's where it comes from. And so James is going to give us the process of sin and temptation because it's a process. Nobody ever just, just you know, wakes up, says, you know, what? I'm going to sin today and I'm going to be really good. I'm going to do some good sinning today. We typically don't wake up and just jump headlong into that. Well, some of you may, but if you're a Jesus follower, most of us don't wake up in the morning saying, I'm going to be a good sinner today. I'm a sin real good. I'm going to go out and get it done. Most of us, what we do is we fall into this process that James lays out. Here's what the process looks like. Part number the one of the process is this. Everybody say desire. desire. Yeah. Desire is what James said. He says each one of us are dragged away by our own Desires. Another translation of the Bible might even say lust. And so this is where we get into like, we need to realize that all sin starts with us just having a desire. And let me tell you this all these desires actually start out someplace good. I'm going to give you something that will kind of wreck your theology. All sin comes from a good place. All of it does. I'll give it to you just in its philosophical nature. The only reason why you can sin is because God is love and gave you freedom, and both of those are good things. But because of those things, sin came out of it. Even even Satan, if you think about it, is is somebody that used to be good, but then turned evil. Let me put it another way. Sin is only the perversion of something good. Like when you think about some of the most evil and wicked things in the world, the only reason why you can have murder is because they took from something good. They took life and then they perverted it or destroyed it. The things that we think about that might be some of the most evil sins in terms of maybe sexual, sexual wickedness. The only reason we even know what sexual wickedness is is because God has given us something sexually pure. Does that make sense? And then what we do is we take something that's sexually pure that God gives us for for, for uh, his purpose and our enjoyment. That's something that was designed to be good in its origin. And then what do we do? We pervert it. So evil is the perversion of something good. And what happens is this is what happens. We have desires and most of the time they start out as good desires. But James says that eventually they turn into Evil desires, a good desire turns into an evil desire when it begins to control us, when it begins to drive us, when it becomes to basically weigh in on all of our decisions and control our thoughts, when it becomes an exaggerated out of control desire. That's when a good desire goes to being an evil desire. It's out of control. It's all you can think about it. Have you ever had that before? You can't get it out of your mind. You can't shake it. It's almost like the idea of inception when the guy says, uh, don't think about pink elephants and all you can do is think about what? Pink elephants. And so you've got this desire and you're like, and then then you tell yourself, don't think about that desire. Don't think about that desire. And that doesn't work. And so it pushes us and it drives us. Here's a quote and a thought I think you need to chew on. Temptation is our attempt to meet a legitimate need, a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. Think about it. We start off with something good that we really, really want in life, and then we drive it so far that we drive it out of bounds and then we do something sinful. Now, here's the second stage of of this process. We go from having a desire, which usually starts out as a good desire that turns into an evil desire, and then we fall into deception. And here's why we fall into deception is because we convince ourselves that what I really, really want is a good thing, though. So why can't I have it? And so then we go about doing it and getting it in an illegitimate way. That's in essence how this happens. James, now listen to what he says in the scriptures. He says each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Now, this doesn't come through in the English language, but it would in James's language. He actually uses two sporting terms, sporting illustrations to describe what this process looks like. He said, first, it starts with a simple desire, but then you fall into this trap called deception. He said, it's as if you got dragged away. It's as if you got enticed. The the phrasing dragged away is a sporting term. Meaning lured out. It's a hunting term. It's what a hunter would do to catch his prey. He would put something enticing to lure him out. Does that make sense? The the, the second word, so that's lured out. The other word enticed literally means to be caught with bait. You've been deceived. You believe that something was so good and that you needed it and God probably wanted you to have it. How can it be that bad of a thing? And it looks really, really good. And what we do is, is we as human beings are really, really good. We are masters at justifying our own decisions. We are masters at convincing ourselves that something could be good for us. And we'll just go with that anyway. And you know what? I know it might not. It might not line up with this Bible verse and that Bible verse. And I know this doesn't go along with what Pastor Todd said, but this is a good thing. I'll I'll give give an example here. I went fishing not too long ago with a a gentleman in our church, and he is a master fisherman. So I want you all to know if you all ever need to go fishing, there's a master fisherman amongst you. okay? and this this guy is such a good fisherman. We went fishing uh, at a specific lake and he holds the record at this lake for certain fish and this and that and the other. And literally, when we go fishing. People whisper like we pull up and we're getting our boat and they're like, hey, that's the guy. So this guy's legit. This is the real deal. And, you know, I'm just the pastor, so I get invited to do things, right? And, and I grew up hunting and fishing with my dad. So people invite me to go hunting or fishing. I, I love. I'm down. So just, just send the invite. Um, so he said, hey, and, and now here's the worst part about going fishing, though. You have to get up so early in the morning. Oh my gosh, this is the worst part of fishing. So I'm up at like 5 a.m. and you got to get there while it's still dark and it's freezing cold. You got to put the boat in the water. You got to go through all this mess and all this process. But he holds the record for this certain type of delicate fish or, or, you know, kind of, you know, prized fish that nobody seems to be able to catch at this lake. And I asked him, I'm like, because like to me, this is what I did all day. He would say, hey, let me bait your hook. I don't know what I'm doing. So he would bait the hook and he'd be like, throw it over there and that's all I did all day. He would bait the hook, and I found out what chartreuse is. Does anybody know what chartreuse is? Apparently that's like a really big deal for fish. They really, really like chartreuse. Am I tripping? I I feel like I learned something new. I go like I go kid and can of go like all my colors? It's like a it's like a weird green color. Anyway. So so I'm fishing. He baits the hook, he says, throw it here. And we're catching fish all day long. It's almost like a Jesus film where the fish are jumping into the boat. It's insane. And I'm not even lying, there were times where the fish would come to the top and were feeding and they were just literally jumping up. And so we would just be like, see where all those fish are jumping out of the water? Just throw it right there. I mean, this was like fishing for dummies. And that's why I caught so many fish that day. Um, I was a master fisherman that day. And, and so anyway, but we're catching this particular kind of fish and he holds the record and nobody else can catch him. And, and, and I'm asking him after the fact, we're over there cleaning the fish and people are coming over like, like little sweet little Asian. was like, oh, wow, that's wonderful. And she wanted to steal our fish. As soon as we walked away, I could tell she wanted to she wanted to snake our fish. And so I asked him, I'm like, OK, OK, because I just thought he was a normal person. I thought he was just an average Joe Fisher. I didn't know he was a big deal until so people are whispering and pointing at the fish. He's like, oh, my goodness, that's so big. And so I didn't know how big of a deal he is or this is or whatever else. And so sure enough, I'm like, OK, so what's the deal? What makes this thing? So he said, Todd, he said, nobody else knows this, but you got to know where to go and you got to have the right bait. You got to know where to go and you got to have the right day. This is, in essence, what temptation is like for you. Now, you need to realize that in this illustration, you are not the fisherman. In this illustration, you are the what? You are being enticed. You are being lured out. You have a spiritual enemy who is constantly trying to set you up for your own demise. And he is luring you out and he is enticing you. He is luring you out and he's using your own desires to do it. And he's enticing you. Isn't that what bait is? It's trying to make sense. Because when you go fishing, what's underneath the bait? A hook. But can you see the hook? No, just chartreuse. Pretty little chartreuse. And the fish is like, oh, chartreuse. <laughs> Me like you chartreuse and just go after the chartreuse. But underneath chartreuse is a hook. It's a trap. It's the setup. Now, is, is the bait sin in and of itself? No, it's what you do with it. And he goes that you need to know that all around you, there is deception. There is something that will absolutely try to convince you. To take a good thing and turn it into the ultimate thing so that you will have an, a good desire become an evil desire. And eventually you'll lead to this part right here. So you go from desire to deception, disobedience. This is where you actually go into sin, right? This, not sin. This, not sin. This, sin. This is the realm of disobedience. This is where you actually just kind of walk off the deep end and say, I'm going to choose to sin. I'm going to choose. Now, there are other ways to do it. You either do it through deception, total deception, or you do it through rebellion. So when you go back to the Garden of Eden, remember the original sin, the original temptation. Hey, why don't you have the fruit from that tree? It'll make you like God. It'll do this. It'll do that. It'll do this. And the Bible says this is Paul talking and commentating about that story. He said this. He said Eve was deceived. That's why she took it. Adam was not deceived. He knew full well what he was doing and chose to do it anyway. And this is where you see disobedience happen. How many of you have ever done something that was sinful, but at the time you didn't even know it was sinful? That would be the realm of deception. Now, no, nobody was quick to raise their hand there. How many, of you, though, knew it was bad, did it anyway? No chance. Okay. Yeah, sometimes you're deceived, sometimes it's rebellion. Either way, it's disobedience. Either way, you're walking away from God's best and you're walking away from something that could have been really, really great. And you, you, you fall into this realm of disobedience. And then lastly, James says this. Let's go back to the scripture. The Bible says in verse 15, then, gonna say then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Notice he goes from like, two hunting and sporting and fishing illustrations. Now he's into like child rearing illustration. He's saying that desire is something that's eventually going to give birth to something. And what it's going to give birth to is sin, that disobedience. And when that thing grows up, you ever met a kid that was crazy? It's not your kid. Somebody else's kid was crazy. You might now see that kid when that kid's grow. That's what sin is. Sin is the kid. It starts out small and then it grows into something. And what James says is this. It's going to grow into something called death. That's it. And so we move. Go ahead. Move back. We move from desire to deception to disobedience and then back into finally death. I'm waiting for the screen to magically change. There we go. And this is the process of sin. This is where we go. Now, listen, here's why you need to know that death comes. Death does not come because God wants you to die. Does that make sense? Jesus came so that you might have life and life to the fullest. So Jesus is trying to get you to avoid this. But here's the reason why we all experience this. It's because all sin has built into it some type of negative outcome. That's why God calls it sin. It's not sin because God was sitting up in heaven and thought, I am Lord and master and these are my peons and my ants, and I'll just make them do whatever I want. And so what I'm going to do is create a list. And if they'll keep my list, maybe I'll like them. That's ridiculous. That's not God. God is not an evil dictator. God is a loving father. So what he does is is he's a dad and he looks at life and he says, you know what? There are certain things in life that if you'll do them, you'll be so happy and blessed in life. And there are other things in life that if you do them, they're going to lead to negative consequences. You know what we call those things? We're going to call those things sin. Don't do those. Avoid those. This is why you, you give your kids rules, right? Please tell me you give your kids rules. OK, they're not allowed to do certain things. And it's not because those things are, are the most terrible things in the world. It's just because they're kids and they're not ready for them yet. Does that make sense? Sometimes there are things that if you knew. And this is why you get so frustrated, parents, is because you plead with your children and you look at your children, and you think if they would just trust me, I was talking to a set of parents earlier today and they have a 16 year old who knows everything. You all remember that face? You're smarter than your dad. Your parents are stupid, and you're, you're you know you you you're coming into your own now. You're 16. You really got it all figured out. And so, <laughs> you either remember that, or you got a 16 year old. Either one. It's somewhere in there. But you think about your 16 year old. You think if they would just trust me. But what does the 16 year old think? Dad doesn't know anything. Mom doesn't know anything. But the dad said, if you would just trust me. I promise you, I will never set you up for failure. I only want you to be blessed and succeed in life. And that's your heavenly father. So your heavenly father doesn't have a set of rules and a set of hoops that you need to jump through. He has a set of things that he is trying to get you to avoid so that you might experience the best life possible. That's who your heavenly father is. And so, so this is the process of sin. And this is what it looks like. When you think about your life and your decisions, remember I said you could look back into the past and ask yourself, what was I thinking? What was going on? This is what was going on. Okay, good. So, so this is what it looks like. This is desire, deception, disobedience, and death. And this is a process that on the other end, you were like, what was I thinking? What was I doing? I'll tell you what you're doing. Have you, have you ever thought about this? Let, let me give you a couple examples. What about the, the employee who their desire... Is to succeed. Their desire is to advance. Their desire is to make more money so they can provide for their family. It's a good desire, right? But see what happens is this: is then all of a sudden along comes an opportunity in which you could be unethical or immoral or cut the corner or cheat the system or do something to somebody else that we would. So when there's an opportunity, a temptation, an opportunity comes in, and then what we do is we look and we think, man, I know I'm not supposed to do that. But then what we do, we start convincing ourselves. But you know what? If anybody should get the promotion, it should be me. At least I love Jesus. What do they got? You know, like you find all these ways to think, but I would do good with that money or I would, and we find all these ways to begin to convince ourselves and justify ourselves that, you know what? Maybe it would be okay to cut that corner. Maybe it would be okay to make that unethical move. And then we go ahead and choose to be disobedient. We choose to stray away from God's best in our life. And then what happens is, is we end up with something called death, now, here's, here's the way death might look. For some of us, it's the worst case scenario is this, is that you get caught, you get found out, you get fired, you get thrown in prison, you get whatever. You've done something. You've walked down a path that eventually led to death. But some of you in here, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, Todd, but I didn't get caught. Yeah, Todd, but it didn't turn out that bad. I'm telling you that it did, and here's why. Here's what I know about life. Whenever you choose to go this way, you can never escape the penalty of sin. It's impossible to. You're either going to reap it in this life here and now, or you're going to reap it somewhere else down the line. And it, this is the worst. This is the worst too. Some of you think I went down that road and it didn't turn out that bad. And I'll tell you what you've lost sight of because you chose to go down this road. You actually don't know what God might have done. Had you chosen to follow his ways, you put it, put it this way. When you choose sin, you are forfeiting God's best for your life. And when you choose to sin, you'll never know how great life could have been. You'll never know. So the way that you think it worked out okay, what I'm telling you is that God's ways are better. And now you'll never know. Because we chose to go down this path. And it, it, listen, to me. Listen, if, you're, if you're single out there, let me give you an example. If you're single out there, you desire to be in a relationship. You, you want to love somebody and be loved by somebody. And lo- everybody, love is good. So lo- love is good. We're all about the loving. Love is awesome. And so we desire love. But here's what happens. Mr. Wright didn't walk into your life. Mrs. Wright didn't come along just yet. She hadn't started attending New Beginnings Church. I don't know what the scenario is, but she hasn't or he hasn't presented himself. And so then all of a sudden, Mr. Wright now or Mrs. Wright now presents themselves. And you think, but yeah, but he's got money. And yeah, but she's hot. And yeah, but this and yeah, but that. And you know that they're not a Christian. And so you know that this isn't God's best plan for your life. And so, but you, it's hard to say no, right? When she wore that dress. When he drove that car, you know it was hard to say no, And so I talked to myself, and so then I made a decision to disobey God's ways, and then it ended up with something less than God's best, possibly something awful. Do you see how it works now? And it all started with a good desire, a desire and I'm telling you it happens all the time. Let's listen to what James keeps saying. Verse number 16. The Bible says this: "Don't be deceived. Which is like telling a person that's blind, don't be blind. Like, isn't that frustrating? You know what deception is, right? Deception is when you don't know what you don't know. So how would I even know if I'm deceived? So how can I just not be deceived? And James gives you the answer. I don't want you to think, but I just want you to know that if you just tell somebody, hey, don't be deceived, that's going to be the worst advice in the world. But he goes on, don't be deceived, meaning know this, there is a bait, there is a trap, it looks enticing, it looks pretty, I know it, I know, I know I'm telling you, you've got to change if you want to win at temptation. Next verse says this. Don't be deceived. And then this is how James gives you the steps to take. This is his, in essence, um, this is his way of saying, hey, here's how you're going to avoid it. This is his way of saying, this is how you're going to overcome. This is his solution. Don't be deceived, but rather know this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And all of a sudden, huh? What does that have to do with not being deceived? I'm telling you, it's brilliant. What did we say that sin was? Usually sin and temptation comes down to us trying to meet a legitimate desire, a legitimate need. In an illegitimate way. And here's what we do in life. We have legitimate desires and we have legitimate needs. And he's saying this. He's saying you've forgotten the source. You've forgotten the one who could actually meet all your needs. And the one who could fulfill all of your desires. Because you thought success trumped God. And because you thought love with another person trumped God. That, that all of a sudden that they would meet these needs that God couldn't meet. And you lost sight of the fact that God wants to be the one that meets all of your needs. Are you hearing me? Meaning this: what his solution was this, his solution is this: is when you face temptation, you need to change your focus. That's the key. You've got to change how you're thinking. Let, let, let me give you a couple more examples. So, so, so for some of you, I've heard these stories before. There's the husband, and you have a need and a desire to be what? To be respected. And so what do you do? You live a life trying to get respect or want respect, and so you do certain things. And sometimes when you don't get respect, what do you do? So you start yelling. All because you had a legitimate desire and a legitimate need to be respected. Then you started yelling and you started getting angry, and then you did things that you wouldn't normally do or things that are sinful. All because you were trying to get a legitimate need met in an illegitimate way, and you lost sight of the fact of who you are in God. All you thought about was you, and you had lost sight of that every good thing, Isn't that what James said? Every good and perfect thing, where does it come from? It comes from God. But you thought you could get it your own way, so you took a legitimate need and tried to get it in a legitimate way. Maybe you don't yell. Maybe you become a workaholic. Maybe you think, I'll just bury my head in my work, and I'll work so hard and make so much money, and that's how I'll get respect, and that's how I'll get those needs met. That's how I'll get those desires met. Or maybe you go off the deep end in another direction. Maybe you say, you know what? I need to be loved, and I need to be respected, and you know what? She won't do it, so I'll just go find it in the arms of someone else. It all started as a good desire, a good need that your heavenly Father wanted to meet. Same thing for for the woman. All you want to do is be loved. You're a wife, and all you want to be is loved. And but what do you do when when the love doesn't come the way that you need to love? You start nagging. Why? Because maybe I just beat that love out of him. I just nag him. I just nag until he loves me, because we know that always works. And so we start nagging. We start. what, What if we do this? Maybe we don't nag. Maybe we just manipulate. Maybe that's the way. If I need to be loved and he won't love me and, and nagging didn't work, maybe I'll manipulate. Again, maybe maybe I go into well, you know what, I need to be loved, so I'll just focus all my attention on my children and I'll make a kid centric home and I'll neglect my husband because at least I can get that from my kids. Do you see how life gets thrown off? Do you see how life begins to spiral out of control? So you're a student out there and you think, you know, progress is good. I need to have good grades. I want to be able to get ahead. That's a good desire. But then all of a sudden when things don't get get to go in your way and things don't pan out the way you want it to, you start doing unethical things because you think, well, I I need to get a good desire met. And you start going about it in an illegitimate way. And all you're wanting to do is get those needs met. And James is saying you've lost sight of the fact that your needs don't get met from out there. But actually every good thing and every perfect thing comes from your heavenly father. To the hurting person out there, you've been abused and you've gone through incredible pain and suffering in your life. And you think, I need comfort. And is comfort a good thing? Absolutely. I need peace. Is peace a good thing? Absolutely. But then when you don't find it from all the things in the world, you find it at the bottom of a bottle. You find it in some pills. You find it in some destructive destructive behavior. You find it somewhere. All because you're trying to get a need and a desire met. Is the desire bad? No, you're just looking in all the wrong places. And so what James says is this, all the good things that turned into bad things, all the good desires that turned into evil desires. Do you know what your heavenly father is? He is the one that gives every good and perfect gift. What you have to do is change your focus. Remember we talked about how how everything begins in the mind. Isn't that where James said all this stuff begins in the mind? You know what that means is that you have to change your focus and determine to change your mind. So when, when those things get to driving your mind and driving your behavior and driving your attitude, at some point you'll have to change your mind. And let me, let me tell you this, it's not going to happen magically. It will happen very, very practically when you begin to change your thoughts out for the thoughts that come from the Word of God. And when you begin to change your thoughts, because here's the deal, you cannot remove bad thoughts from your mind. You can only replace them. Let me say that again. You cannot remove bad thoughts from your mind. It is impossible. It's like thinking about the purple elephant. You're just going to keep thinking about it. How many ever done that with a sinful thought that was just in your mind over and over and over again? You thought, don't think that, don't think that, don't think that. Did it work? No. You can't try to stop thinking about something to stop thinking about it. It only makes it worse. The only way you can stop thinking about it is to replace it with something better. What is the only thing that's better in this life? It is your Heavenly Father, whose gifts are always good and always perfect. Next thing he says is this. He goes in verse number 18. Not only does every good and perfect gift come from above, but God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we may be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Here's what I need that you need to get. This is the walk away. Number one is this, is that you need to change your mind, but you need to know that God wants to change your heart. There are certain temptations in your life that you will only shake as you grow closer in your relationship with God. There's only certain things. And he said, God wants to change your heart. He wants to make you reborn. He wants to make you new again. And, and I go back to the beginning of my journey with Jesus, when I said yes to Jesus for the very first time. And you know what happened? Immediately, some of my desires began to change. Just automatically, as I drew closer to him, as I began to go to church, as I began to worship, as I began to pray, God just began to naturally overhaul my desires. My desires changed. But here's the deal wait six months after becoming a new Christian, wait until a year, and a lot of them have changed, but you notice that there's still some lingering there. There's still some hanging on. This is why you've been a Christian for years now, and yet you still have some of the same deceptions, some of the same temptations hit your life on a regular basis. It's because this process doesn't doesn't ever stop. God doesn't want to change your heart once and then be done. God is constantly wanting to change who you are. The changing of your heart never stops. And once again, James goes back and points to it. The way that he does it is with the word of truth. There is no greater source of strength for you overcoming temptation than the word of God. Let me say that again. There is no greater source of strength for you overcoming temptation than the word of God. How, would it, how is it that you would change your mind? You can only replace it with something that's in the Word of God. How is it that He wants to renew and make your heart reborn again? It is through the Word of God. And the Word of God in our current day in society has become an afterthought it's become something that sits on our nightstand or sits in a drawer somewhere. It sits collecting dust. We don't pick it up. We read the screens on Sunday morning and and, and the Bible has become an afterthought. And I'm telling you that as Jesus's followers, the Bible should be the utmost priority to your daily life and routine. I'm telling you what, when you think about what the people in the book of Acts did as brand new believers, it said they gathered constantly to fellowship, to break bread, and Basically, discuss the teachings of Jesus, and that's just what they did on a regular basis. There's nothing more powerful than that. And I'm telling you, we've abandoned that as a culture and as a society. We've gotten into 32 characters and these little tidbit snips here, and and we've abandoned the idea of reading the Bible. We've abandoned the idea of memorizing Scripture. We've kind of thrown out the idea of meditating on things. Why? Because we live in a society that doesn't meditate on anything. We want quick Facebook clips. We want quick pictures. We want quick uh, Twitter comments. We want quick little snippets, quick YouTube videos, quick, 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 quick. Everything's become this kind of condensed society down into these little snippets. And I'm telling you, we've lost sight as a culture of this powerful truth that there is no greater source of strength than the Word of God. And how else are you going to get it until you make getting into the Bible a part of your daily and regular routine? Remember, he said this. He said, I want you to change your mind. You can't do that without the Word of God. And then he said, God's going to change your heart. And he said, the way that I'm going to change your heart is through the words of truth, the Word of God. I'm telling you, it all hinges right here. James is the most practical book in the entire New Testament. And what he gets down to simply is this. Is, yeah, there's a trap and there's a deception and you're trying to get a good need met in an illegitimate way. But I'm telling you. Until you change your mind and realize that everything that you ever needed comes from your Heavenly Father, you're going to miss it. You're going to keep chasing rainbows, and there is no pot of gold. You're going to keep climbing ladders and then realize it's leaning against the wrong building. You are chasing after desires, but you're not chasing after your Heavenly Father. That's where those needs get met. Not only does God want you to change your mind, though, is that God himself wants to change your heart. And as you surrender to him, you will begin to win at temptation. How many of you want to keep on falling into the same old things over and over and over again? How many of us want to keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again? None of us do. James doesn't want you to either. He wants you to win at temptation, and he has given us a solution. It is in the words of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray today that, God, we would be challenged, that we would be made aware that there's a trap, there's a bait, somebody's luring us out. Usually it's just us chasing after good things, chasing after good desires until they turn into evil desires. God, I pray that we are so aware of the trap today, that we are so aware of the bait, that we're so aware of what's really going on in our heart. But God, beyond that, I pray that we begin to take the right steps. I pray that we make your words the foundation of our life, the foundation of our decision-making. God, let us, through those words, find your love, your strength. You are good and perfect gifts that only come from you, God. Lord, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?